when we step back into the original ancient Hebrew text, the, uh, the Old Testament was written in ancient Hebrew and then translated for us into English. When we step back into the ancient language, there's a lot in there, uh, honestly, because um, when you try to translate a language like Hebrew into English, there's just a lot of meaning that is lost in the translation. I'll just be honest with you. Specifically when it has to do with the names of God. Uh, in the English Bibles, we have like two names that are mainly used, God and Lord, and that's it. And so when you read those things, you go, oh yeah, that's him, the man upstairs, whatever you want to think in your mind, you know. But, but you really miss out on the full depth of meaning of who he is and the character that he, characteristics that he wants to bring to the table in our lives. And so um, what we've been doing in this series is kind of backing up to the ancient Hebrew and taking a look to gain some more understanding of those names because, I want you to get this down on the outline, ready? By learning the names of God, we get to know him more. Come on, say it with me. By learning the names of God, we get to know him more. That should be that first blank on your outline. Fill it in. You're going to want to use that today. And so we've learned that by learning the names of God, we get to know him more. And the cool thing is then if you get to know him more, then you can trust him more. We're going to talk a lot about that today and the character that we're looking at. The psalmist David says, those who know your name, trust in you. And that's what we want to do. We want to come to a point where we can trust in him. And so the more that we learn who he is as God, uh, the more we can trust him and the more that we can see him do things in our lives. So three weeks ago, we talked about how God revealed himself through the name Yahweh. It's actually in the ancient Hebrew, it's uh, the consonants, there's no vowels in ancient Hebrew, so it's Y-H-W-H. Some, some scholars say V-H on the end, it's a little, little different. Um, but God revealed himself to Moses in this way, and it's really cool in the New Living Translation, um, they, the translators include this name um, in the scripture. Take a look. The Lord came down in a cloud, stood there with Moses, and he called out his own name, say it with me, Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh reveals the God of relationship. And we talked a lot about that three weeks ago. If you want to back up, if this is your first time with us, or maybe you're you know, coming in, this, you haven't heard some of the, the studies that we've had, back up to our podcast and um, you can listen to them. But this name Yahweh shows how much God wants to be in relationship with us, how much he wants to be involved in our lives. God does not want to be a generic God to you. Turn the person next to you and tell them that. God doesn't want to be generic to you. Come on, just tell them. He doesn't. He doesn't want to be generic. He wants to be up close and personal in your life. He wants to be involved in all the details of your lives. And I don't know about you, but I have a lot of details in my lives. In my life, rather, my lives. <laughs> okay, I only have one life as far as I know. Okay, um, all my aliases. But anyway, um, God wants to be involved in those details and... and <laughs> Are you like me that there's sometimes when I lay in bed at night, if I can't go to sleep right away, I'm one of those kind of people that, I mean, you, if I'm tired, if I'm ready to go to bed, and that's what I tell my wife, if I'm ready to go to bed, usually when I touch the pillow with my head, I'm out. Okay, I'm one of those kind of people, all right? But there, on occasion, there are nights, and I've had a couple of these nights this week, on occasion, there's these nights that I just, I just can't. I lay there and I look at the ceiling and I listen to my wife make noises as she's sleeping and, and all of these things, details, are just running around in my head. You ever have nights like that where you just, it's like, man, there's so, I got so much on my plate right now. I got I to gotta balance, I got this coming and I've got this and I'm worried about this. And, and to think that God 
wants to be involved in every one of those details with me. That he, that he wants to be that close to me. That is so vital for me to know and for you to know. To, to be aware of a God like that. Yahweh is also connected to other names in Scripture. And, and what's interesting is they make compound names. So when you take the name Yahweh and connect it to other Hebrew words, um, it's, it's amazing what takes place and, and what God reveals through these names. Last week, we talked about the life, uh, lives of Abraham and Sarah and how they were unable to have children. And, and they waited for many years, according to the promise of God, for, for a son. And God blessed them with a son. We pick up the story in Genesis 21. Take a look. The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. She gave birth to a son for Abraham in his old age. This happened at just the time God had said it would, and Abraham named their son Isaac. Abraham was how old? A hundred years old when Isaac was born. Now this is an incredible thing. This is an incredible, incredibly joyful time for this couple, Abraham and Sarah. We pick it up in verse 6. Sarah declared, God has brought me laughter. If you don't know, the name Isaac in Hebrew means laughter. God has brought me laughter, Sarah says. All who hear about this will laugh with me, <laughs> I'm sure. Why, uh, who, would have said to, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse a baby, yet I have given Abraham a son? In his old age. So God kept his word, provided this son, even though they were way beyond childbearing years physically. All they had ever wanted was a child, a son. And now they have it. Have you, have you ever experienced that where God just gives you what you've always wanted? This is what Abraham's experiencing. He settled down. He, he lives the rest of his life just enjoying what God has brought into his world, into his life. And then we come to this chapter that pushes us. I, I gotta be honest, th this chapter is one of those chapters that just, it, it just kind of rubs me. Because you see Abraham and he, he gets what he wants. God comes through, God you know, fulfills his promise and they are enjoying life. And then God steps back into Abraham's life with this test. Take a look, Genesis 22, one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament. Sometime later, so we're talking years later, God tested Abraham's faith. Hmm. You know, one of the paradoxes in life is that testing brings change. When you go through hard times, you are changed. In fact, you change more when you go through difficult times than when life is easy. Now, I know we don't like to admit that because none of us like difficult, change, or difficult times. And most of us don't like change. And so you have those two things that are taking place, and it is tough sometimes. Abraham was tested to his limit. God wanted to see how much Abraham trusted him. Take a look. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here am I. God wasn't calling, don't, don't, don't miss this, God wasn't calling Abraham out of the blue. Abraham had walked together with God for years. In fact, to this point, 50 years had passed that he had been walking with God. So he knew this voice. 
There was no hesitation. A lot of the times you see where God will repeat the names, like in um, Saul of Tarsus's life. He, Saul, Saul, he repeated it. And other times you see that. I noticed that in this one, he didn't repeat it. He didn't say, Abraham, Abraham. You know why? I think it's because Abraham knew his voice. He didn't have to repeat it. Abraham said, here I am. And God says to him, take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. It's okay at this point. And then God says, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And we have this tendency to read this story backwards. And what I mean by that is we know the end of the story. And so we read this story and we go, oh, well, psh, God never intended to take Isaac's life anyway. So piece of cake, right? No problem. We have a tendency to think that it's no big deal, but we fail to realize that this is without precedent or parallel in the Old Testament. No one else was ever called to do what Abraham is being called to do. God never demanded human sacrifice, ever. God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, the delight of his heart. Scholars believe that, that Isaac was about between 15 to 20 years old at this point. So this was not some young kid. You, you've enjoyed years with this son. Many years of blessing and laughter and happiness. And suddenly this word comes from God. And, and you can't hardly believe this. Take your son, whom you love, and sacrifice him. Give him up. God was asking Abraham, don't miss this. God was asking Abraham to give up the most precious thing in his life. And we... We can't understand what he was feeling. But we instinctively know how hard this was. How, could, how can a loving God ask Abraham to sacrifice his only son? God had given Abraham Isaac the son of his hopes, and now it seems like you know, God is saying, well, give him back. But what's going on? Abraham not only loved Isaac, but he needed Isaac. Because God's promise involved descendants. And Isaac was it. He was the source of descendants. God isn't making any sense here. His request seems to go counter to what his promise says. Abraham had everything. He has his son. He is set for life. And, and sometimes in our self-sufficiency of life, we get to the point, if we're not careful, where we don't need God. Now, I'm not saying that Abraham was there, but maybe. Had Isaac become too important to Abraham? Had had Isaac begun to take God's place in Abraham's mind and his heart? I mean, we have no way of knowing this. But we can be sure that that happens in our life, right? I mean, sometimes God is replaced in our life by someone or something very easily. 
And God wanted to know, where's your heart, Abraham? Where's your heart? Where's your trust? See, to Abraham, God's voice was unmistakable. He knew this was God. And this is God asking, how much do you trust me? I think he's asking us the same question. How much do you trust me? Maybe to some lesser degree, you've had experiences like this. Maybe you're staring in unbelief at some situation right now. And you're asking, is this really God? Is this really what you, you have for me? Is this really your plan for my life, God? Most of us in situations like this, you know what we ask? We ask the why question. Why am I facing this? Why is this happening? When something happens to us in which we fail to see any purpose in it, this is when our trust in God is put to the test. How much do you trust him? So even though his heart is torn and Abraham is struggling with this, the thing that I saw is that he gets up and he gets going. He does what God calls him to do. Take a look. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his servants with, them, uh, with him along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about on the third day of their journey. Don't miss this. This is not just a little you know, walk. This is a journey. Three days is a long trip, right? On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in a distance. Wonder what he thought right then. And we can only imagine it, right? The heartache he felt, the, the struggle he felt. But see, Abraham, he looked up because he was, he was catching a vision of what God wanted to do in his life. He was catching a vision of what God wanted him to see. And look what he says to his servants, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will travel a little farther. Don't miss these words right here. We will worship there and then we will come right back. Wait. How, how can he say that we'll come, my son and I will come right back when he knows what God is asking for? He knows that God is asking for sacrifice of his son. How can he say to his servants, we'll come right back, we'll be right back? See, I don't believe that Abraham is trying to deceive these guys. I think Abraham has come to this level of trust in God that you and I, we do not know this yet in our lives. I'm convinced that he is saying to God, I have experienced you, God, long enough to know that when you give me a promise, you will carry it through. And God, you said that my promise would happen through my son Isaac. So if you want me to sacrifice him, God, then you will also intend to bring him back to life and I will trust you for that. And we will come right back. God's request seems so crazy to our perspective. But do you see what Abraham is doing in the midst of all of this confusion? Do you, the thing that we miss so much in this passage, do you see 
why he said they were going. They were going to worship. Mm. Sometimes God will take you through an incredibly hard experience because he wants to show you who he can be in your life. Sometimes God puts us in situations that only he can solve so that we can recognize who he can be in our lives. And those of us who walk away from God because things don't make sense, because things get hard, only miss out on experiencing God in this, in this new and bigger way. New Testament writer in Hebrews 11, look what he says. It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. So in his mind, Abraham was thinking, if God has me plunge the knife into my son, I will do it and it will be okay because the God who made the promise to me will be the God who keeps the promise. And I trust him. You know, no, no faith in life is greater than the object in which it is based on. Perhaps the reason that we such, see such little faith in our lives, in the life of, of Jesus' followers, is because of such a small understanding that we have of God. We, we don't know how big God is, and so our faith is not big. Our faith remains small. But Abraham, he had huge faith. He trusted that God would not only be a promise maker, but that he would be a promise keeper. The faith which enabled Abraham to believe this crazy promise of a son was now the faith that enabled him to take this drastic measure of sacrificing that same son. We pick up the story. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to his father Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, and Isaac said, We have the fire and the wood, but where is the sheep for the offering? This is, this is just curiosity that Isaac is showing here. He sees the wood, he sees the fire, but no animal. And so he asks his father, can you imagine what is going through Abraham's mind right now? And look at what he says. Verse 8, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Man, don't miss those first three words. God will provide. He's kind of saying, God knows what he's doing. I don't. God knows what he's doing. I don't want to do this. God knows what he's doing. 
He's going to come through. God was really asking Abraham to sacrifice his son without knowing in advance how the story would end. All that Abraham knew for sure is that he had trust in God. And even though this didn't make sense to any um, human point of view, it says in verse 9, when they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. Abraham did exactly what God asked him to do. And at that moment, Scripture says, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham. Yes, here I am. Don't kill your son or hurt him in any way. Now I can see that you trust God and that you have not kept your son, your only son, from me. It was in this trusting God that, that Abraham experienced God in a brand new way. And it says in verse 13, then Abraham looked up. There's that phrase again. He looked up and he saw a, a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. When did Abraham see the ram? It was after he was willing to follow through with what God had called him to do. Friends, sometimes, and maybe this is in your life, God has the answer right there, close by. But we won't realize it until God is ready to reveal it and he will only reveal it when we fully trust him. In verse 14, it says that Abraham named the place Yahweh Yairah, which means the Lord will provide. I mean, don't miss this. Who named the place? Abraham. Because he experienced God in a new way. There was a connection of his trust with God's provision. Don't miss that. This, this connection, the sequence is so important. Abraham trusts and then God provides. Abraham experienced God's provision when he trusted God. So get this on your outline. I have to trust for God to provide. I have to trust for God to provide. I have people that talk to me about praying that God would provide this or that, a job or finances or a date or a spouse or whatever. And I constantly go back to them and say, how much are you trusting God? For instance, if you're asking God to help you with your finances and you're saying, God, I need you to bless my finances because I'm not meeting ends meet. I guess my question to you is how much are you trusting? You say, well, how do you trust God in your finances? It's really clear in scripture that the way you trust God in your finances is you make him a priority in your finances by tithing, by giving the first 10% of your income to God. And you say to God, in that tithe, you say to God, God, I trust you. I trust you, I put you first in my finances. Listen, friends, everything that you put God first in, he will bless. 
It's true. And so, how much are we trusting him? Hmm. That's a whole nother, whole nother study, isn't it? I mean, think about this, this phrase that, or this thinking is that where was this provided? This was provided on, on the mountain when, when, when Abraham experienced this and he followed through and he trusted God fully and he followed through with what God said. That's when God provided. God will never be Yahweh, Yaira to me unless I fully trust him. I mean, isn't that what Jesus says in Matthew 6.33? I mean, you might know that passage. It's not on here, but you could just jot that down. Matthew 6, You know what it says? Seek first the kingdom of God, and then he will provide everything you need. I'm summarizing it. That's Bart's version, BV, Bart's version, okay? But that's it's the truth. Put him first. Trust him. So what is trust? I think trusting God always involves surrender. You want to get that down. Trusting God always involves surrender. I don't know if you noticed, I think every song that we sang this morning had the word surrender in it somewhere. We're trying to get this across to you today. I think the best way to illustrate what trust is all about is to think of a parent in a swimming pool with a child standing on the edge of the pool. And the parent is coaxing the child. And what is the parent saying? The parent is usually saying, come on, jump, I'll catch you. Just jump, right? Right? Come on, just just, just jump, trust me. Just jump, I'll catch you. And the child's like, no, no. Come on, just just jump. I'll move a little closer. Okay, come on. Look, it's not very deep. Come on, just jump. Just jump. You'll love it. Just jump. I'll catch you. Right? And finally, what does the child do? He jumps. You know why? Because he trusted. That's trust. I trust that daddy or mommy or whoever, grandma, grandpa, whoever is coaxing me in, I trust. I trust that they'll catch me. I trust that they'll help me. And trust involves letting go, surrender Hmm. (laughs) to Abraham. God was the Lord who provides. God was Yahweh Yaira. Yaira is a simple form of a Hebrew verb, which means to see. Interesting. But when you take Yaira and you combine it with Yahweh, it points to provision. It's the idea, the concept of God providing. It's something that is seen beforehand and then provided for. Isn't it interesting that in Latin, provision, the word provision, means to foresee. Is that crazy? And it makes sense, though, when you really, you know, kind of rattle around in your head. By giving provision to someone, you have to see what they need first in order to meet their needs. It makes sense, right? And so this is what God is all about. Yahweh, Yaira, is all about being able to see what we need. The writer adds this in Genesis 22. To this day, people still use that name on the mountain of the Lord. It will be provided. Yahweh, Yaira. So perhaps God has led you 
to a mountaintop in your life. Maybe you're already there and things are hard and confusing and he's asking a lot. Just remember that it's on the mountain that God revealed himself as Yahweh, Yaira. It's in the midst of trusting him fully that God came through as the one, the God, who provides. Hmm. If Abraham never made the journey and climbed the mountain, he never would have experienced Yahweh, Yaira. He never would have experienced God providing. So Abraham demonstrates this, this trust that God is looking for. And then look at what takes place in verse 15. The story's not done yet. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham. This is what the Lord says. Because you have obeyed me and have not withheld, what is that? Surrendering. Not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name, what is his name? Yahweh, Yaira, that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like stars in the sky, sand on the seashore, and through your descendants, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, all because you have obeyed me, all because you got up this morning, you got the wood, you got the fire, you saddled up your donkey, you made the three-day journey to the mountain that I showed you, all because you fully trusted me, you put the altar together, put the wood on the altar, tied your son, put him on top, and raised the knife, you fully trusted me, all because you fully trusted me. All of this is going to take place. See, we, we have a tendency to look at this patriarch, Abraham. If you're a church person, we look at Abraham and we just, oh, wow, he was a man of faith. What does that mean? That's just a church word. We don't even think about what it means. You know what faith is? It's trust. How much do you trust God? Do you trust God that much? Could you call yourself a man or woman of faith today? Do you trust God that much? That you would fully do what he's asking you to do. Even when it's hard. Even when you don't understand. God told Abraham, because you fully trusted me, <laughs> this is just the tip of the iceberg. This, I'll be honest with you, I was going over my notes yesterday, and I had a whole other thought, and I thought, I don't have time to go into it. But here's a big thought for us to consider. What if... What if the blessing in Abraham and Sarah's life was not Isaac? What if Isaac was only the means to the end? What if Isaac was just the tip of the iceberg? And we know that to be true. He was only the tip of the iceberg of all that God wanted to do in Abraham's life. Wow. Isaac is just the beginning. God's saying, this is just the beginning of all that I want to do. You think I blessed you now? You haven't seen anything yet. I love what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.9. He's actually quoting a passage in the Old Testament. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, I want to add on, who love him more than anything else in life. 
for those who are fully trusting him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived. All that God has provided for those who fully trust him. This week, I was brought back to a book that I've read years ago. Author Watchman Nee is an incredible author from years past. He writes this, this little um, narrative. And he's explaining how that we approach God. And he says that so often we approach God like little children with empty hands. He says we, we come to God with our empty hands and we're just like, you know, God, please, please give me this. Give me this. We're, we're begging him. We're asking him. We're, we're requesting things. Just give me this. Give me this. And because God is so good to us, he fills our hands with all kinds of good things. Life and health and marriage and kids and friends and money and success and job and home and all kinds of stuff. And, and then God comes along and he says, my child, I, I want to walk with you. Reach out your hand and take my hand. Let's walk together. God says, oh, oh wait, you can't because your hands are, are full of of what I've given you. you. You need to put those things down so that you can take my hand. And we cry out, God, we can't. It's too hard to put them down. And God says, but I am the one who gave it to you anyway. And we say, God, please don't ask this of me because it, it, it's too hard to, to put this stuff down. And God says, you must put these things down so that you can take my hand and walk with me. See, when we follow God, I'm, I'm, you know, if, if you're not a follower today, you're just kind of listening in. You, you need to know this about us. When we, when we follow God, we believe that he orchestrates the details of our lives. And I believe that he will bring us to a point where our trust in him will be the only thing that we trust in. I think that's his goal. I think he wants us to, to, to come to this point of trusting so much that that's all we have. I find, what song says, I find everything in you. Hmm. And so, as we go through life, you know what God does? He weans away the things in our life. If we're following him, if we're trusting him, he begins to wean these things away. And, and maybe you've experienced this. At first, he, the process just touches only our possessions. And, and that's, not a, that's not a huge thing. I mean, we, we can get more stuff, right? I mean, it, 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 you know. But then eventually the process touches our relationships. And, and those are, are hard to get. And then eventually, the process of following God touches our loved ones. And when we lose loved ones, you can never get them back. And finally, this process touches our life. And then there's nothing left but us and God. And I've been in services 
I've led services for people who have passed from this life to the next. And they know this, that nothing but me and God, they've experienced this. See, through all of this process, God leads us along this road to trust him. So whatever you're facing right now, whatever you're feeling in your, in your marriage, in your home, in relationships, in, in your job, and in just in life, whatever, whatever you're thinking about when you lay in bed at night and you can't sleep, whatever is rolling around in your head in those you know, spare moments of your day, whatever it is, this is God leading you along this road. And if you're following him, he wants you to trust him more. And if we trust God, we will discover that God will empty our hands of everything so that he can fill our hands with himself. That's the way it works. That's what trust is. Would you bow your heads with me?